You're listening to Comedy Central. September 27, 2018. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. actor America Ferreira is here everybody we'll be talking about her new book American like me but first let's get straight into the only story anyone was talking about today and no I'm not talking about me getting my third dimple (laughs) I'm talking about the big showdown that everyone has been waiting for Moment of truth, the Senate showdown between Brett Kavanaugh and accuser Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. This hearing, nationally televised, every single network, every single broadcast network, every single cable network, mm-hmm. all watching Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. If you're talking about the historic import of this and you're rating it from 1 to 10, you would give this about a 79. On social media, a ton of pictures of uh, commercial airlines where every television set in the seat back is tuned to these hearings. Yes, that's right. Even people on planes were watching the hearings. And it was so gripping that it was the first time people were praying for a delay. Even the flight attendants were watching the flight, like, get your own peanuts, get your own peanuts! I don't have time for your shit right now. (laughs) Now, I say it was gripping, but that doesn't mean that today was a fun day. Emotionally, it was taxing. If anything, it was like a sad Super Bowl. And what, what was sad about it was just, like, everything that was going on. Because today was all about Christine Blasey Ford. Right? The woman who came forward first and accused uh, Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh of sexual assault. Now, although everyone was preparing for testimony from Dr. Ford and Judge Kavanaugh, there was someone who uh, stole the, the spotlight in the beginning of the proceedings, uh, Judiciary Committee Chairman and Human Cornbread Chuck Grassley. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but at times, he acted like he was the one on trial. I think it's important to make sure you're properly introduced. Uh, by and the way, I have to. I was going to introduce her, but if you want to introduce her, I'll be glad to have you do that. But I want you to know I didn't forget to do it because I would do that just as yeah. she was about to speak. Thank you. You have another 30 seconds now because I was rudely interrupted. Something happened here in between on your side that the whole country, well, not the whole country should have known about it. No, not know about it. We should have investigated it. No, not, no, no, some, no, no. <laughs> what, what I meant was that, no, no, like, I feel bad for Chuck, especially in the beginning there, because he's trying so hard not to look like a sexist asshole that he's coming off as a sexist asshole. He's like, be quiet, woman. I first want to tell you how important women are to me, okay? <laughs> and you shut up, lady, while I tell you how much I respect you. Hashtag woke bay. <laughs> but today, Today, no one cared for Senator Grassley as much as Senator Grassley did. Everyone's attention was on Dr. Ford. And she didn't just come in prepared to tell her story. She was also ready to respond to all of those people who asked, how can you even remember something that happened 35 years ago? You are very clear about the attack, that it was Brett Kavanaugh that covered your mouth to prevent you from screaming. How are you so sure that it was he? Uh, the same way that I'm sure that I'm talking to you right now. It's uh, just basic memory functions. Also, just the level of norepinephrine and epinephrine in the brain that sort of, as you know, encodes 
that neurotransmitter encodes memories into the hippocampus and so the trauma-related experience then is kind of locked there, whereas other details kind of drift. Oh, snap! <laughs> oh! People were asking how the lady can trust her brain. Turns out she's a brain scientist! <laughs> Yeah, those senators were probably like, oh, yes, we're also familiar with the, the hippopotamus. Uh, yeah, but we also know that. All right, let's move on. Let's move on. Oh, and, and, and Dr. Ford also had a response for anyone who thought she's only here as part of her 2020 campaign. Apart from the assault itself, these past couple of weeks have been the hardest of my life. I have been accused of acting out of partisan political motives. Those who say that do not know me. I am an independent person, and I am no one's pawn. My responsibility is to tell you the truth. You see, that's... That's something... That's something that a lot of people forget. Dr. Ford isn't some politician who's running for office. She's a woman whose life has been turned upside down since she stepped into this Supreme Court battle royale. She's gotten death threats, reporters flooding her house, and she's been called a political pawn, right? which is unfair to her, and also to pawns. I mean, <laughs> I know this is not the time for me to address this, but still, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go in on this. No, because people always act like pawns are the only pieces that get moved around the board. <laughs> but you realize that's every piece. I mean, if you're a bishop, your ass could be zigzagging all over the place, <laughs> but you're still taking orders from the hand. Like, you're not special. I'm just saying the pawns get the short end of the stick. And again, I acknowledge now is not the time to get into this chess thing. Forgive my grassliness. All right, where was I? <laughs> now, wh wh one of the main things that made today's hearings, uh, or hearing different was that the Republicans brought in an outside sex crimes prosecutor to ask their questions, right? Because they wanted to avoid the optics of a sexual assault victim being interrogated by the world's most wrinkly boy band. <laughs> and even as Dr. Ford sat through hours of grueling questioning, being asked to remember the tiniest details of something that happened over three decades ago, she still managed to remain surprisingly gracious and agreeable. I'm happy to answer in further detail if you want me to. I wish that I could be more helpful and that others could be more helpful and that we could collaborate in a way that would get at more information. I'm just happy to describe them if you wanted me to and I'm happy to not. It's just whatever you want. How insane is that? After all she's been through, like, she still has such a good and warm attitude. Like, I, I feel like after the hearings, she'd be in the parking lot offering to jumpstart people's cars. Do you want me to... <laughs> I can help you get home. <laughs> so after four hours of Dr. Ford giving her side of the story, it was Brett Kavanaugh's turn. And I don't know if he's got something going on in his life, but he seemed really angry. This confirmation process has become a national disgrace. You have replaced advice and consent with search and destroy. The behavior of several of the Democratic members of this committee at my hearing a few weeks ago was an embarrassment. Last minute smears designed to scare me. I wanted a hearing as soon as possible to clear my name. I demanded a hearing. That's right, I demanded a hearing. You didn't give it to me. I demanded it. Anyway, if you'll put me on the court now, I'm prepared to put my emotions aside and rule fairly and soberly, yeah. <laughs> I think we can all agree I know how to handle my emotions. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, the contrast was striking because where Dr. Ford was more open to being questioned about her experience, this dude was behaving like the whole thing was just wasting his time. It's an outrage that I was not allowed to come and immediately defend my name and say, 
I didn't do this and give you all this evidence. I'm not even, I'm not even in D.C. on the weekends in the summer of 1982. So you're saying there's never been a case where you drank so much that you didn't remember what happened the night before or part of what happened? That's, you're asking about, yeah, blackout. I don't know. Have you? Could you answer the question, Judge? I just, so you, that's not happened. Is that your answer? Yeah, and I'm curious if you have. The Swetnick thing is a joke. That is a farce. Good Lord. This guy was such an asshole, it looked like he was auditioning for a Snickers commercial. He's like, how dare you accuse me of sexual assault? Hmm, I did it, yeah. You could feel real Brett coming through because I don't know if you saw the interview on Fox, he was all chilled out and now today he was all angry, but you could feel him seeking through. And like, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I don't know what the full story is here, right? What I do know is Brett Kavanaugh has been consistently shady about his history of partying as a teenage boy. Did you consume alcohol during your high school years? Yes, we drank beer, uh, my friends and I, the boys and girls. Yes, we drank beer, <laughs> I liked beer. Still like beer. Sometimes probably had too many beers, and sometimes other people had too many beers. What do you consider to be too many beers? I don't know. Uh, you know, we, whatever the chart says uh, on your blood alcohol chart. Ah, yes, of course, of course. The blood alcohol chart, yeah. You know, the chart we all have at parties when we're drinking. Yeah, you know that chart? Yeah. Yeah, where you're just like, yo, man, hey, man. You ready? You ready, dude? You want to shotgun another beer? I would, buddy, but the chart says we've reached our legal blood alcohol limit. Get the fuck out of here, man. You telling me this guy was running around with calendars and charts? How big were his pockets back then? Guy was like a 17-year-old actuary? Like, because one frustration many people have is that we could get to the bottom of Ford's allegations much more easily if the FBI was allowed to investigate this whole thing, right? but we're not learning anything from this. And after watching this exchange, I don't know if finding out the truth is on Kavanaugh's calendar. Judge Kavanaugh turned to Don McGahn and to this committee and say, for the sake of my reputation, my family name, and to get to the bottom of the truth of this, I am not going to be an obstacle to an FBI investigation. I, I welcome whatever the committee wants to do because I'm telling the truth. I want to know what you want to do. I, I'm telling the truth. I want to know what you want to do, Judge. I'm innocent. I'm innocent of this charge. Why would you resist that kind of investigation? Sir, I, I welcome, I wanted the hearing last week. Judge Kavanaugh, will you support an FBI investigation right now? I, I will do whatever the committee wants to. Personally, do you think that's the best thing for us to do? It was at that moment that Brett knew he had <laughs> up. He wanted a beer so badly, but the chart said he couldn't have one. <laughs> that face is him giving himself. You can feel him coming out. It's so crazy to watch. And you know, I, like, I don't know about you, but I feel like we all hoped, maybe naively, that today's hearing would get us a step closer to learning the truth about whether Brett Kavanaugh is fit for the Supreme Court. But from the beginning, today was never gonna be enough time for us to get closer to the truth. This whole thing is rushed. There's not enough time. It was only gonna be enough time to make both sides feel better about how they were already gonna vote anyway. And nobody dug in harder than Lindsey Graham. 
What you want to do is destroy this guy's life, hold this seat open, and hope you win in 2020. You've said that, not me. You've got nothing to apologize for. When you see Sotomayor and Kagan, tell them that Lindsay said hello, because I voted for them. I would never do to them what you've done to this guy. This is the most unethical sham since I've been in politics. And if you really wanted to know the truth, you sure as hell wouldn't have done what you've done to this guy. Really, Lindsay? The most unethical sham that you've ever seen in politics? Uh, phone call coming in. Merrick Garland says hi. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Daily Show. You know, even before today's hearing, it was obvious that Brett Kavanaugh had a lot of baggage. And now, a full Senate vote on him could happen within days. So, the big question for Senate Republicans has to be, is Kavanaugh worth keeping around? Well, to help us analyze Republicans' political strategy is a man who has watched a couple seasons of Scandal. Michael Costa, everyone. Michael, um, first things first. Today was a tough day for Judge Kavanaugh. Well, sure, Trevor, but he did score some key points with his base. Evangelicals liked how he defended his family. President Trump liked how he keeps getting accused of sexual assault. And (laughs) senior citizens liked how he was talking so loud and clear. Yes, yes, but even so, Michael, like, he's been much more troubled than Republicans anticipated. Like, why not just cut bait and pick a new nominee? It's psychology, Trevor. The Republicans have invested too much in him to just give up now. We've all been there. Remember my New Year's resolution last year to switch to an all-beef diet? Well, I knew in the first week that it was a bad idea, but I already had a freezer full of Omaha steaks, so I stuck with it, and now I have gout. Yeah, yeah, but, but Michael, unlike you, at some point, they have to recognize that he's a sunk cost. It's not worth risking a Supreme Court seat over one nominee. There's too much at stake. Oh, God. Please don't say steak. Republicans aren't just thinking about the Supreme Court here. There's also the principle of this whole thing. If the Senate holds Brett Kavanaugh accountable for multiple sexual assault accusations, then they'll have to hold the next nominee accountable. And then where does this end? You really want to live in a world where everyone is held accountable for the things they've done? (laughs) What, so now I'm going to prison just because I've been stealing my neighbor's Amazon packages for years? Yeah. Yeah, you you should be held accountable. Why do you always admit to crimes when you're here, dude? This is just between us, you know? This doesn't leave the room. All right, it's just, here's the thing. Sticking with Kavanaugh seems short-sighted, right? Because if he doesn't get the votes, Republicans might not have enough time to nominate another judge. And then if they lose the Senate, they'll lose the seat completely. Yeah, that's right. But look, if... If they're looking for a generic white man who will make bad decisions and blindly stick with it, you don't need Kavanaugh. (laughs) This guy right here is available. (laughs) And the best part about me is no scandals. You just admitted to stealing Amazon packages. Yeah, but only me and you know about that, Trevor. Michael Costa, everyone, we'll be right back. That's a camera. is an award-winning actor, director, and activist who is the editor of the new book, American Like Me, Reflections on Life Between Cultures. Please welcome America Ferreira. (laughs) 
Welcome back to the show. Thank you. So good to have you here. Um, there are so many things that you're working on, and today's one of those crazy days where I'm sure you're, you're torn between what's happening in the news, what's happening in life. Um, let's start with the news today. Mm. I'm sure you were also watching what was happening um, in, in, in the Supreme Court nomination hearing. You're somebody who's been involved avidly in politics. Mm. Just from your point of view, when you were watching what happened today, what would you say was your visceral feeling? Outrage. <laughs> um, I, first and foremost, uh, I love Dr. Ford for her heroic actions that she took. Um, I believe Dr. Ford. Um, and I watched as a survivor of sexual assault myself, a very public display of what happens to survivors when they dare speak up. Right. And I can't imagine a more credible, uh, composed woman uh, sitting in her position and doing the amazing job that she did to, to tell her truth and speak her voice and, and then to watch um, a man-child sort of <laughs> blubber through his own testimony is enraging. I'm so sick of seeing competent, intelligent, credible women come up against men children and and be suppressed. It, it's it's enraging and it's and what happens tomorrow or tonight, um, it's not just a vote. It's a it's a referendum on what we are as a country. What right. are we willing to accept? Where are we really? And how much longer are women's lives and women's dignity going to come secondary to the needs of powerful men? The story of America is so beautifully contained in this book and of what you were just saying now. In many ways, for many people, it feels like America's in a space of multiple referendums now. You know, mm -hmm. the midterms are coming up. People are saying that's going to be a referendum on Trump. Every single election feels like the people speaking out. This book is really something different. American Like Me, Reflections on Life Between Cultures, you've collected a uh, group of really amazing people, everyone from Uzo Aduba to Lin-Manuel Miranda, Roxanne Gay, and you got people to write really personal accounts of just who they are, what makes them who they are, and how being different has helped them find who they are, but also how it's excluded them from the world. How did you even begin this journey, and how did you get these people to write in the book? Yeah, um, well, you know, I, the more and more I think about our country, the more I believe that this American experiment is it's a storytelling experiment. It's sort of whose story gets told, you know, and who has control over which stories get told and which stories get believed. And, and you know, for me, I, I, I grew up feeling 100% American. Right. I mean, I, I could have bled red, white, and blue as a nine-year-old child. I believed everything I had been taught, that this is America, and in America, all you have to do is work hard and believe that you're equal to everyone else and that everyone else is equal to you and nothing is impossible. Right. And I believed that. And, and it wasn't until other people let me know that I wasn't American like them. That that my eyes were open to that, right. and 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 the space that I have inhabited for a lot of my life, the place between feeling 100% American but being told that 
others saw me not as that. And then also feeling Latina and 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 deeply rooted to my family's culture and history, um, but also being told that I really wasn't that either. Right. So I sort of lived in a no man's land and I felt so alone and isolated in that experience. And when I realized that so many other people felt that way too, I, 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 I realized that it was because our stories never get told. Right. We never see our experience woven into the narrative of what this, who, who is an American and what is an American. And I have to say, I am so upset that patriotism has been hijacked because I am a patriot. I am an American. Right. I love this country. I have always loved this country. And, and my story is American. It's not immigrant American. No, I am an American. Right. And, and, I, and so I, for me, it was not just about telling my story, but it was about inviting all these other incredible um, activists and writers and athletes and people who have contributed to the American culture in phenomenal ways who, um, who don't get to tell that part of their story. And so I reached out to them and so many of them said yes, which I was so honored by. And now we have this gorgeous book that a young person can hold in their hands and see what it means to be reflected by Americans like them. It, it really is a, a wonderful paradox to try and absorb because as you're reading through the stories, on the one hand, you're absorbing a world that has maybe told people repeatedly that they cannot be, but you're also speaking to people who've managed to overcome that. Mm -hmm. And I guess the moral of the story that I took from the book is really that it, no one should have to face that obstacle in the first place, but mm -hmm. it, it really is inspiring to see all of these stories, to see all, all, these, all these people coming forward. You are somebody who's done it in your life in multiple ways. You know, you've, you've gone from being America Ferreira, people go like, oh, you're this type of actress, or you're this type of person, or this is what you mean. And we've seen you just grow and blow up in multiple different roles. I mean, like on, on, on Superstore now, you're directing, you know, mm -hmm. you're getting to direct episodes, a new season is coming up. Are we seeing more of you in these roles? Are you going to be exploring more of that? Yeah, I mean, yes, absolutely. I have started directing. I'm directing this season as well. I directed in the past two seasons. Um, you know, I think that so much of what this book and these stories are about and so much about where I am and where I think women and people of color and all kinds of marginalized um, people in this country are feeling is we should be able to walk into spaces as our whole selves. We shouldn't have to strip away the pieces of us that aren't accepted by the mainstream culture to exist and be accepted in spaces. Right. And so for me, that means I'm an actress, that means I'm a director, that means I'm a producer, that means I'm an engaged citizen, and I get to be all of those things no matter what room I walk into. Your dream <laughs> is carried through in the book. We love watching you grow. Congratulations on the new little one in your life. I appreciate you so much for being on the show again. American Like Me is available now in the fourth season of Superstore. will premiere October 4th on NBC. America Ferrera, everybody. <laughs>